Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This is the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. I am Coach Manaman. Thank you for listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. For the latest news and notes and baseball content from the tri-state area, find us on social media, Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Coach Manaman on Twitter. Welcome back to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. As always, this is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman, and today we are joined by a good friend of mine. If you're ever looking for spring training tips, reach out to him. I call him Dubuque's own Joe West, veteran umpire Al Stoltz. Al, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Thanks, Nick. First question I have for you, Al, how long have you been officiating and what sports have you done over the years? It's crazy. This will show my age, but I actually got into officiating back in 1980-81 season with the Dubuque Fighting Saints. And uh, the reason I got into it is because a friend of mine, Mike Waddick, and I, we were really into sports and into hockey. And we just asked the coach and general manager, Jack Barzee, if he needed any help. I mean, we were willing to do just about anything. And he asked if we'd want to be linesmen. So that's how we, <laughs> that's how this whole thing started out. And then, uh, so I've been, I quit doing hockey in about 2009, but I did baseball, softball, started up in the mid eighties and same thing with basketball. So I've been involved with it for quite a while. I'm trying to pinpoint your age. The year you started umpiring was the year that I was born, but I'm going to keep my guess to myself. <laughs> this is a baseball podcast, but I'm curious, what is your favorite sport to officiate and why? I really like baseball because I've always been a huge baseball fan. It's been a, a real blessing for me to be able to be around baseball and at the various levels. And uh, I I like basketball a lot too, and obviously softball and baseball are somewhat related. But uh, and I really enjoyed hockey when I did hockey, and then I do volleyball, but that's kind of down on the list only because I never really was a volleyball player, and I don't feel quite as confident making calls in volleyball as I would in the other sports. Now you and I spoke off camera a couple weeks ago, and you were talking about how you've officiated little league, you've officiated semi pro, and you also do high school as well. If you had to pick your favorite level of the three to umpire, which one would it be, and why? I I think the higher level you go as far as skills is always it makes it easier to officiate those sports and uh, umpiring as much. Uh, maybe abuse the semi-pro league gets for being kind of a beer league or whatever, the talent level is very good. And uh, you can have some really good ball games, and, and it's wood bat league. So it's you can have some very good comp- competitive games, great pitching, tournament games especially, and, and get some of these college guys. And it, it really makes it a lot of fun doing those games. But I do enjoy uh, high school games quite a bit. Little league games can be really up and down depending on the control of the pitchers. Funny you mentioned that about the talent at the semi-pro. I remember a couple of years ago I was umping and I was talking to Frank Dardis between games and he had just got done 
umping a game between Tyler Sogling and Mark Hennessy, and it was a one to nothing hour and fifteen minute. I believe it was was a nine inning game. And um, bringing that up, what do you think would be some of the most dominating performances that you've been a part of umpiring that you've seen on the mound and that you've seen players in the batter's box? Well, I think probably one one sticks out to me is uh, Tim Felderman, who, who coached baseball for senior for several years and was a multi-sport athlete and very good at everything. He threw a perfect game against East Dubuque uh, in the semi-pro at the Rickardsville tournament one night. And honestly, I don't think there's ever been an easier game to umpire. I mean, he did not miss his spots or anything like that. So that... That game stands out, and when you get into the, the the semi-pro level, I mean, you're talking about some of the newer newer pitchers or whatever. You got like Anthony Rudin, but then you go back Pat Weber from Cascade. I mean, he can he can just hit his spots anytime he wanted to in his prime, and he was he was fantastic to umpire for in spite of his reputation. I mean, I really never had any major problems with him, but. There's been a lot of really talented players. And then seeing, like, just in the last few years here, Cal Harris in the batter's box. Uh, had him at Hempstead one night. He hit two home runs. And the guy's just, I mean, he looked like a machine. Really talented player. I've always, it's been a joy, I mean, in the different sports, just to see some of these guys who see where they've gone. And, and uh, you know, whether it's college or even further, it, it's just been great to see that. Now, there is an umpire shortage right now that's taking place we've even had some teams in the area that have been affected by the umpire shortage and have games canceled because the admins were not able to find umpires why do you think that we're suffering from an umpire shortage right now that's a good question i wish i could give a a real good answer when i first got involved in sports um you knew when you got in it was going to be kind of learning the ropes and taking a beating when you started out you were the fresh uh, blood in the water as it were and so you know you you knew what you were getting into I don't know uh, again I'm older now so I guess I can't maybe relate to this generation quite as much maybe the, this generation just doesn't want to put up with that but it's it's definitely a critical situation because I know for a fact that because I assigned the the umpires in Dubuque uh, probably the average age now is over 60 and there's very few young officials. Uh, other sports, even basketball and football and others, they're, they're running into the same situation. I recently saw on Twitter, and I can't remember what they all were, but there were six things that they felt that organizations could do to solve the umpire shortage. One of them was um, waiving the fees and, and paying for their fees to sign up. One of them was giving them a stipend for the equipment, better pay, um, being stricter with fans and, and player conduct. How do you think, just us brainstorming right now, we could solve the shortage of the, um, of the problems of the umpire shortage? Well, you know, the better pay thing sounds good, but it really hasn't, as far as I've seen hasn't really been a major incentive just because I think it's getting yelled at and and some of these PSA commercials you hear on the radio wanting to recruit officials the thing is is coaches parents and uh, just the general atmosphere of the game I don't think it's going to change 
I mean, it, coaches can be told, hey, be nice to the umpires, but when an umpire strike zone is not good, they're going to get on the umpire. So I, I'll be honest with you, Nick, I don't know of anything for sure. My, my recommendation for a lot of these local situations would be because we, we have three colleges here in town that have great, very good baseball programs, would maybe be talk to the coaches at Loris, UD, and Clark, see if they can get some of their players in the summer maybe to get involved with it. And then maybe some of the high school coaches could work with their guys too. But it's we've had some new people come in, but a lot of them either leave town for jobs or college, and then they get out of it. So I I can't even really tell you know anybody who's stayed with it for more than ten years that's under maybe fifty right now. And you've been doing baseball, give or take, roughly forty years. I was wondering this the other night and had a conversation with a friend about this. Do you think parents, fans, and players have gotten worse in their behavior over the 40 years? Or do you think that it's just more out there with everybody having a video camera and a cell phone right there to record things? Yeah, that's a good point. I think you're probably right about that. It probably is more out there now. Um, you know, the strike zone is one of the things. I've I've talked to some newer umpires, and you try to get a good, consistent strike zone. And... I mean, I can tell when I'm in the field and another umpire is working, if he's struggling with his strike zone up and down, everybody sees it. Now, when you hit corners, the coaches, they're not going to see that quite as much, but the fans can be really rough. I mean, we had West Dubuque game against Waterloo West, and it was two really good games. But, I mean, if you miss a pitch or they think you miss a pitch, they let you have it. And so a newer umpire like me, I've kind of listened to it so long, it doesn't really bother me. But a newer umpire, you know, is probably going to get intimidated by that. If anybody that's listening to this, whether it be a high school kid, a college kid, a teacher with a summer off, a grandpa, if they would like to get interested in being an umpire or an official, how do they go about doing that? Well, it's it's easy enough to get signed up. But some people think you have to go through a lot of testing in that. You really don't. Uh, you just go to the high school association website and sign up to be an umpire. You pay the fee. You take a rules uh, meeting, which is just a a 20, 25 minute rules meeting, and then you do an open book test. And that will certify you to do lower level ball. And then obviously to get assigned, you have to know people in the area. So I usually suggest people to contact the local athletic directors or just contact the school and ask them who would be a, the right person to contact. Plus there's a lot of other things, you know, with uh, the local uh, leagues that they have, like Dusty Rogers Field down there has little league and tournaments all the time. So, now, you ump all of the different levels from Little League to high school to semi-pro. What would you say would be the benefits and the downfalls of each level to umpire at? Well, the lower levels, it's mostly the talent of the players. So you struggle sometimes to get through innings. <laughs> but uh, when you get up into the 12, 14 U, it gets a little better. I mean, when you're under you know, 11 and under, then you're just kind of more or less out there just trying to manage what they're doing. But um, as you get higher up, the the challenges then kind of turn from the talent of the players to where you better be right about your calls and things like that. Whereas like a, the, the littler kids, you know, you can get away with it if, you know, you, you open up the strikes on a little bit, not at high school level and especially semi-pro level, things like that. So, and then the fans, demographic changes also, you know, obviously little kids games, you have parents and friends and brothers and sisters. And then high school games, you get mostly parents and 
things like that. And then the semi-pro, you mostly get the the more the fanatical <laughs> late <laughs> late night fans, I guess you would say. So it's a that's the probably the biggest challenge with the with the semi-pro is is dealing with the the sportsmanship because they're all coaches, they're all you know, they're all evaluating you. It's not like high school where the players really can't say much. All the players will get on you if, if something happens at a semi-pro game. Are umpires ever wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> umpires are wrong a lot. And that's that's one of the, the, the things, you know, you have to be uh, strong enough to admit you're wrong and, and just do your best. I mean, everyone's going to miss calls. Every it's. I've always said I, I every year... Uh, well, before COVID, uh, Carl Tebon would have me come in and talk to the officials class about officiating. And I say, there's three things. I said, there's the appearance, which is obvious. I mean, anybody can dress the part. But if you don't dress the part, that puts you in a bad spot. Second are knowing the rules. And then third is judgment, the judgment part of it. And I think the most important part of all is the judgment part. But you have to look good and you have to know the rules. And that's all time. That's time. You know, you, you can buy good equipment. That's your first thing. But the rules, you have to learn that over time. And then the judgment part of it is what you call and what you don't call. Because, I mean, you coach, you know what it's like when you have somebody who's just over-officious and calls ridiculous stuff. It frustrates the coaches. It frustrates the players. So, like, I've learned my thing is just to let the game come to me. I try never to inject myself into the game if unless I absolutely have to. You're umpiring. Coaches, players, fans, you miss a call or you make a poor call in people's opinion or you mess up on a rule or are wrong on the rule. If I'm a coach, what would be the best way to approach an umpire? If I'm a fan, what would be the best way to approach an umpire? I don't suggest fans approach umpires, especially don't go out on the field. And if I'm a player, whether I'm a little league kid or a high school kid or a semi-pro, what is the best way to have a good conversation with an umpire on, on a disagreement? Well, there's probably, that's a good question because there's probably different levels. Like if it's an absolute obvious missed call and everybody knows you missed it and you know you missed it, then that's when you need to tell the coach if they come out or yell or whatever, you need to go over and tell them, look, I missed the call. Sorry. You know, I, there's nothing I can do about it at this point. Um, if you can overturn a call, you talk to your partner and maybe get it overturned. But the thing is, is like most of the time, when if it's a bang bang play and you call it one way or the other, and you might have got it wrong, you might have got it right. Maybe maybe you think more you got it wrong, but you can at least tell the coach, look, coach, this is how I saw it. the The last thing you want to do is just confront the coach and get in his face and and make it even worse. So again, I try never to let the game. You know, I don't try to inject myself into it. If a coach comes to me with a question, I'll try to answer it as legitimately as possible. And then you have to move on. And I think if a coach is a good coach, and there's a lot of, excuse me, a lot of good coaches around here, they will understand that and then it will move on from that. The only thing is you don't want to let it happen three or four times where you apologize to the coach and say (laughs) it. Because if it happens once, they're good about it. And then I think, you know, most of the good umpires around here will, you know, they'll, they'll have an occasional call where, they wish they could take it back, but that's what you deal with. Now with fans, we're told as umpires never really to 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 get into an you know an argument or anything with a fan. I do occasionally do it at lower level games, like if someone's really getting obnoxious about the strike zone. I will try to be very gracious about it and just tell them, look, 
you know, we got to change the narrative right now. I'm not squeezing your pitcher. I'm not expanding the zone. I'm just trying to manage the game. And usually people are pretty good about it. I've never really had any major issues like that where things have gotten crazy, where it turned into just a, a complete Donnybrook. But, you know, I've had some some pretty good disagreements with, with people and coaches. But I, it, it's the coaches around here are really good. I mean, the high school coaches, the the, the younger level coaches, very good in this area couple things I want to stress to players and, and fans out there, especially if you're at, at a Little League game. You have to understand the umpire strike zones. A lot of times you might see a bigger strike zone. It might get expanded if the pitcher is struggling to throw strikes or if sometimes I know I've umpired games before and the tournament director will tell me, can you have a big strike zone for this game because we're running an hour behind and we want to try to catch up. And I know with players, players – you have to understand the game a little bit more. And I've been a player, and I, and I understand where you're coming from. If you are up by 10 or 15 runs, be prepared that that strike zone is going to be bigger than when you're hitting. Um, that infield single that you beat by two steps – they might call you out if you're if you're up by by quite a few runs. I know it's a tough pill to swallow, but just just some food for thought. Now, Al, do you have a difficult time umpiring because you've done it for forty years and you know everybody? <laughs> well, you hear your name a lot. That's, that's some people that bothers. It doesn't really bother me because I I do try to focus on the game. I mean, I try to have fun with it. I'll be honest with you. I mean, having done it this long. My my biggest thing is I have fun with it now. I know the rules pretty well. I know the the situations, and I you know you joke around with people. You know you always have people come up, they'll hand fake hand to you a twenty dollar bill or something. I said, well, I'm going to talk to the other team too and see what they're going to offer. You know, and I mean you just got to take it in stride. I I I just I really just enjoy the game now. I mean I think at this point, like if I had to just quit, I could just quit, but I don't really have any desire to do so. I I know coaching for 20 some years I made some great friendships with some umpires it was it became common practice after freshman games a lot of times the freshman umpires would do the freshman game at 10 o'clock in the morning then they do the varsity or the sophomore game at 3 30 but it became common practice to go to the doghouse for a, a <laughs> ice cold drink and a Carmichael between between <laughs> games or or after a 3 30 game um going out grabbing a late bite to eat with uh with some of the umpires now you personally have you ever missed a big call and if you can recall what was it oh i my biggest embarrassing moment it wasn't baseball it was softball but i mean it's close enough at the state <laughs> at the state tournament and i don't know why i mean i i should have known this but when a pitcher starts their motion in softball if they lose control of the ball it's just a ball it's not a balk or legal pitch or anything like that so the ball that we're doing, is, this is a state tournament game, and it's a winner's bracket state tournament game with a runner on first. The girl goes to pitch, and the ball, like, shoots backwards, like, shoots backwards into, and we have four, or three, I'm sorry, three, uh, three umpires total. And I call, I stick my arm up, call an illegal pitch, which it wasn't. It should have just been a ball. So the other umpires didn't say anything. We sent the girl to second base and called the ball on the batter. And fortunately, they got out of the inning. And it didn't have any impact on the game, but I literally could have cost the team a state tournament championship with that stupid call. Because after the game, we 
uh, you know, the, the guy that was running it said, no, this is what the rule is. And, and I, I thought, see, baseball's rule is if the ball crosses the foul line, it's a ball. But if it doesn't cross the foul line, it's a balk. Same situation. So I was using the baseball rule in the softball situation. And it's funny because just the other night, this happened to us in Dyersville Beckman. And of course, now I know the rule. <laughs> but at the time, even the Beckman softball coach wasn't sure when it was a ball or an illegal pitch or whatever. So yeah, that was a, a critical, stupid move on my part. But fortunately, it didn't, it didn't cost anybody anything. One thing I've noticed going to a lot of games at all different levels is some of the rules. You just mentioned a rule where the average fan, sometimes even a good coach might be unsure of that rule. What was a rule that you had right, but you heard it from the crowd giving you a hard time because they thought you were wrong, but they really just didn't know the rule? There's actually more in other sports, but in baseball, we had one that I had never seen before, but I knew the rule because I had heard about it through Someone was talking about it, and I didn't believe it was actually the rule, and I looked it up. But anyway, there was a foul tip. The count was one and two on the batter, and there was a runner on first base, and there was a foul tip. The ball went directly off the glove. It hit the the catcher's glove, then hit the mask, and then the catcher caught it. And that's a a foul tip. And normally you think it's just got to hit right into the glove and be caught, not hit the mask or anything else. So if a ball hits the glove first and then hits any part of the body and the catcher catches it, that's actually a foul tip. So I called foul tip, strike three. The coach comes down, argues with me. He was going to look up the rule and everything. I said, coach, trust me on this one. I know it. I said, this is the first time in my life I ever saw it, but I know the rule. He went in between innings. He got the rule book and everything. He came out. We, he saw that it was right. And he goes, I've been umpire, or I've been coaching for 32 years and I didn't know that was a rule. And I said, well, I said, I had never seen it. I didn't think I'd ever see it, but I, I, I remembered it. So that was the one that, that definitely sticks out. When I coached with Jerry Rowling at Waller, he would do that every so often where he would say, Nick or coaches or players, what do you think of this? And he would always give an odd situation and ask us what we thought or what we thought the rule was. And Jerry always had a rule that he told us coaches to follow that he followed is he never would argue a judgment call, but if a rule was wrong, he would question that. Do umpires have makeup calls? You know, I I try not to ever do a makeup call. I, I'm sure there might be some guys that do that or you know, it's just I don't try I try to get away from things like that. But sometimes it might look like you have a makeup call. For instance, there might be a pitch that you call a ball that they, you know, everybody thinks is a strike and then the next pitch they might think it's a ball and you call it. You know, I mean it just it's it's just it's crazy how, you know, people perceive things. So they might perceive it as a makeup call, but I don't I don't ever I would never intentionally do that because once you establish that, it just then you 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 have to keep doing it and it just it it wouldn't work out. Al, before we get into the fan questions, believe it or not, this podcast does have fans and some shout outs. I want to ask you, what is your greatest accomplishment as an umpire? I would say probably, uh, well, a couple things. I mean, I, I'm in the Hall of Fame for the, the Dubuque County Hall of Fame thing, which was kind of a surprise. I didn't really expect it. When I got it, it was, it was probably about eight years ago. And that was really, a, I mean, that was nice to get that. It was a nice uh 
you know, to be recognized for that. And then, and then working uh, for softball, I did 10 state tournaments. I, I don't put in for postseason baseball. I, I don't know why. I just, I always did softball for the postseason, but doing 10 state tournaments over the years, that was kind of nice. Uh, working with some of the local guys around here, like Dennis Rima and Al Heim and those type of guys. And, and it's just, the, that's, I mean, other than that, I mean, I don't really, you know, umpires aren't really supposed to be like the, <laughs> the people aren't looking to the umpires you know, for, for their accomplishments, but it is fun doing like championship games in the semi-pro tournaments and that where you got, you know, a nine inning game between two really good pitchers. And, and it's just, uh, every little thing hangs in the balance, you know, so that's, that's fun. It's a challenge, but it's fun. I've heard this said before, the best umpires are the ones that go unnoticed. Now we have some audience questions here. I'm thinking there's probably from Russell Bola, there's probably an inside joke with this one, but he wants me to ask you about umping the bases while using your camera. What's that all about? <laughs> I've kind of, like I said, I've tried to make the game fun. I would never do this in like a, a real big time situation, but we were doing a league game one night and Russ was with Farley at the time and they were playing at Rickardsville. And I, I kind of knew Ross and a good friend and everything. So, so I, had, I didn't even have a cell phone camera at the time. I think that was even before smartphones were out. And I, so I just bought this little tiny camera and I thought, I'm going to take a picture of, I'm going to take a picture of Russ while he's pitching here and then I'll send it to him. And, you know, it'll be kind of cool for him because, you know, I, I just thought it'd be kind of nice for him. So, so anyway, unbeknownst to me, I have the flash on. So Mike, <laughs> Mike Lightfried was batting for, uh, for Rickardsville. They call him Zeke. And so he's batting and I take it all of a sudden, there's this flash and and I just like stuck the camera in my pocket and tried to act like nothing happened. And then, then after the inning, Zeke came up to me and he said, did you, did you take a picture out there? And I said, yeah, sorry about that. I said, I didn't think I had the flash on. So yeah, but that was, so then I sent him the picture. Russ appreciated the picture though. Want to give Russ a congratulations this past semi-pro season after 15 or 16 years of playing, he finally hit his first semi-pro home run. Congratulations on that, Russell. Now, Brandon Waddick wants to know, how do the different sports compare in being an official and are fans more of a challenge in a certain sport? Yeah, I, you know, they're, they're all different basketball. Like you were mentioning before, like with these calls, basketball, people don't like if someone slides to get a loose ball, everybody wants a traveling and you can slide forever down the court until you come to a stop and, you know, try to that. So people don't understand that. So basketball fans, I think basketball is probably the one sport that I do where everybody thinks they know the rules and very few do know them. Whereas like baseball and softball, there's not that much that can happen. Hockey was a little bit too with, you had, you know, people wanted penalties and things. It was more of a judgment thing. And I'm sure football is, I don't do that much football just except for little kids. But um, so, yeah, they're all different. But the fans, I think, um, again, depending on age and everything, when you when you get into the the quantities of adult beverages that's where hockey hockey fans could be pretty nutty at saints games when i used to line saints games but it was fun i love that it was it was great ben kettering from east dubuque wants to know have you ever ejected anybody if so what's the story behind it you know the funny thing is i've never really i don't think i've ever ejected a coach um in in baseball or softball but um I did eject a player one time. He hit a pop-up and he was mad. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't mad at anybody except himself, but the catcher was going to back up first base 
if, if there would have been a throw to first and the batter just flung his bat and hit the catcher. So I had to eject him. So that was, that was just kind of an automatic. And then there was one, one time where Waller was playing Hempstead. It was a big game down at Petrakis Park. It was a big crowd and pretty competitive game. And one of the Waller guys came in like full bore to the catcher. And he, it looked like he was going to just barrel the catcher. So the catcher got the ball and put a pretty hard tag on him. And the guy, the guy pulled up. And then the catcher's tag, he just hit him really hard. And the guy fell backwards and fell down. So the, the Waller coach came out and he was upset that, that there was such a hard tag. And the Hempstead coach was upset that this guy, he got, the kid got up and just slammed his helmet down. So when he slammed his helmet down, I actually ejected the Waller player at that time. And the thing was, is that he, he made no attempt to slide or anything like that. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I had to eject him for, he just flung his helmet into the ground. And and it was, it was kind of an interesting moment because that was a, there, and there's been a few uh, where someone has thrown a bat and things like that. But I, I've never really had the sporting, like the unsportsmanlike, just because I, I, that's one thing too. When I first got into all this officiating, Steve Keeble kind of recruited me because I tended to get a few technicals when I played city rec. So I was, I'm, I tend to be very much kind of a pro player, pro, you know, situational thing. If I, if I know it's a very, tight situation then i'll i'll let i'll have a long 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 uh, you know reign before i would actually you know eject somebody i know sometimes players and fans don't realize this i know as coaches i always told my players about this heading into the season there's certain things that you cannot do that is an automatic ejection one of the most difficult ones to get through to the players. It's easy now because plowing the catcher has since been taken out of the major league game, but that was always something where I would sit down our team and say, you absolutely cannot run over the catcher. You have to slide. If you do, it's an automatic ejection. You're out that game and the game following. So you having a good grasp on the game shows that all of your ejections were based on rules that you had to follow. If somebody throws something or does anything along those lines, uh, they automatically have to be ejected. I'm thinking this might be an inside joke as well, but Brian Schwartz from Bellevue wants to know, how's your eye doing? Yeah, he was... He was a high school hockey player, and then his son now is well was a really good player at Bellevue High School, and now he's playing semi pro. I think he's probably playing college. I'm not sure about that, but um, yeah. So there, I was refing a hockey game down there when he was on the high school team. He was a captain of the high school team, a really good player. But anyway, the puck got flipped up into the air over my head, like, and I just just figured nobody, you're not supposed to ever play with your stick above your shoulders anyway. And so I just kind of ducked down and he just nailed me with his stick and just, I mean, he missed my eye by it. literally a big cut on the inside of my, kind of inside of the eye and up into the forehead a little bit. And so I was, so every time I see him, we always uh, talk about that. His son, if it's the Bellevue family, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. plays uh, for Clark University. And then I could be wrong. Uh, Brian, let me know if I'm wrong. But I believe he has a younger son, Cole Schwartz, who is a transfer from Bellevue, who's now playing for the Hempstead Mustangs. Last question for you before we have some shout outs and we hit into that podcast, Killing Double Play. Michael James wants to know, what is harder, refing high school hockey lining a Saints or Mallards game or calling balls and strikes on a 90 degree day? 
<laughs> well, calling balls and strikes is a challenge some days, but I, I'll tell you that the Mallers thing is kind of another inside thing. They played down there. I don't know what it's called now, but it used to be called the Mark. And um, it was never built for hockey. So the rink was shorter and uh, less wide than the normal ice rink. Now, this was low-level pro hockey. So you're talking about some guys that were ex-NHL players and a lot of these. It was almost like a slap shot type situation where you had fighters and, and has-beens and never were's. And the one coach was actually even this um, guy, he Dave the Hammer Schultz, who's the all-time <laughs> leading penalty. Uh, so, so anyway, you would go in there and it, it, you literally felt like you were in the Roman Coliseum with Lions. I mean, it was a small rink, big guys, and trying to break them up in fights was just, I mean, it was insane. The Saints guys breaking up was easy because they were all, like, younger. These guys were all, like, between 25, 35 years old and 200-plus pounds. So it was, that was never fun, never fun roughing down there at, at Davenport. But at the time, I was a lot younger, and I still kind of put up with it. But I, baseball and stuff, there's been some games where, you know, it, it, it's you get a big-time championship game between like Cascade and Farley and, and you know the bad blood is there between the teams and everything and you got to be on the top of your game so that's more of a challenge but high school hockey and stuff that was fine most of the games I do I don't I don't even think twice about it but every once in a while the only one I ever really thought I got to get out of here was the Mallards hockey games it was crazy I have no idea what it's called today but we still refer to it as the Mark and Moline yeah yeah it's some some U.S. Cellular or something. But, I, I think yeah. so, and, and that's what I was going to say, but I know the U.S. Cellular Center is also in, in Cedar Rapids as well. Maybe yeah. maybe they're connected. Some shout-outs, and then we'll give umpire Al Stoltz his uh, final thoughts here, anything he'd like to say to the listening audience. Isaac Stanton, head coach of Southwestern Wildcats, regional champs, says it's always great to see Al behind the dish. And then Josh Jorgensen wants to thank you, Al, for being so active and officiating so many sports and doing such a great job over the years. Al, anything you'd like to add before we hit into that podcast killing double play? Well, not not too much other than, you know, the, the guys around here, the coaches, women, the, the coaches. I mean, it, it's just this area is a great place to be as an official. There's very few. I really honestly don't have any one particular person or anything that's like, oh, I can't stand officiating in that city or town. And and uh, there's been some fun times. I mean, there's been some crazy times that usually a, a day or two later, everybody can kind of calm down and we can talk about it. So, yeah, I it's been it's been great. I mean, I love it. I love every minute of it. I don't I don't look at it as a job. I mean, I I always tell my wife it's uh, the opportunity to make money and you know be outside or indoors wherever. But I mean, you, you're always you get you get paid. You enjoy it, and you're getting some exercise. So yeah, it's it's great. People listening to this, go get signed up, become an umpire, become an official. Six four three. We're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by. Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.